We come to you, Father, in that mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Cleanse us. Cleanse our ears. Cleanse our heart that we might hear your voice. That gentle, sweet voice of our Father. Even when you chasten us, it's because you love us. Speak to us, loving Father, this morning. We have come to you this morning, not just for knowledge or wisdom, but for life itself. We want life, more of your life, and your words are life. We just surrender, Father. Let there be just one speaker, you, and all of us hearers in your house. Thank you, Father. Thank you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. It's interesting, the songs which we sang as usual goes along exactly with the word that we are looking at today. And actually one of the first songs which we sang, today's core scripture will be from that song, which was scripture sung. I wasn't here last week, uh, but Pastor Vijay spoke. And uh, the week before that, I told you that some of the messages you would hear from two weeks back onwards until that series finishes might be the most important you would ever hear or heard from this pulpit after you became a believer, after you became a believer. For it concerns that day when all of us individually, all alone, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive our rewards. Therefore, listen carefully. For scripture says the devil comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. So today let him not steal your hearing first. Let him not steal your hearing. While Jesus came to give life, life in abundance, and we have repeated this often, but last two Sundays back to the word life there is that Greek word zo, written as Z-O-E, zo, meaning the life of God that overcomes everything. But the problem is, we, like the Old Testament people, have turned that concept about the life Jesus is bringing, like the Old Testament people, outwards. So we look at that life, meaning that overcomes poverty, or the life that overcomes sickness, or a life that defeats your physical enemies. But that's what the Old Testament people believed for and expected. And that was true about the children of Israel too. They overcame poverty. Now there was none poor among them. They overcame sickness. There was none sick or feeble among them. They overcame their enemies that surrounded them. Nobody defeated them those 40 years in the wilderness. But also the truth is, God was not pleased with most of them. Almost all of them. Why? Because they never overcame spiritually. They never overcame their flesh. They never overcame the world. They had left. They had supposedly left Egypt, but Egypt overpowered them in the wilderness, the world, and they never overpowered or overcame the devil. 
So when scripture talks about Jesus came to give us life and life in abundance, it is talking about a life, the life of God, that as we receive that life more and more, we see its application in our own lives, that we are overcoming our flesh more and more. We have, the world has less and less effect on us and the devil has less and less power over us. But we also saw in the past weeks, the block from receiving that life is what? Truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The life is at the other end of the spectrum. He is the way, but in the middle stands the truth. And truth is often very unpleasant, very unpleasant. But unless we receive the truth, we can never be healed to receive life. You go to a doctor and you are not well. You expect him to speak the truth. You don't want him to flatter you. If you got, let's say, a tumor, which could be malignant or benign, but if you got a tumor, you don't want him to say that you just have a stomachache, that's all, take this jalousal and go away. Later when your tumor starts growing and you are in a critical stage, you will be mad at the doctor. Because what you expect from the doctor is what? Truth. And truth hurts. Initially when he says, I think you have a tumor, we need to do a scan, you probably get mad, upset. But truth hurts. But only the truth can set us free when we apply the truth. When you receive the truth, when you go for the scan, the reports show it, and if you go for further treatment, it can set you free. Flattery doesn't set anybody free. Though flattery will please sing to the ears. So remember the truth about ourselves, only about ourselves, not about others. The truth about others pleases us. The truth about ourselves never pleases us. But that truth is the one that sets us free. God also said in his scriptures, I'm just recapping quickly before we go to today's portion. God also said, I said before you what? Life and death. Blessing and curses. And he said, choose life. And how do we choose life? Proverbs 18 and verse 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. How do we choose life or death? We choose it with our tongue. The words we choose to speak, meditate on and speak are the words by which we are choosing life or we are choosing death. We'll come to that words again. We looked a couple of Sundays back and subsequently after that Wednesday and then Sunday and Wednesday, Pastor Vijay, on the principles of justice in God's kingdom. When you look at God's kingdom, we know in Hebrews 1.8, the scepter of his kingdom is righteousness. To the son he said, O oh God, your throne is forever and ever. And the scepter of your kingdom is righteousness. Righteousness, a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. That's a scepter. Every king has a scepter. But the scepter takes the nature of the king. Okay, if you look at the, the, the scepter of the Persian king, you never knew. If he extended his hand, you were alive. If he did not extend your hand, you were dead. Okay, and there was no righteousness in the stuff which he did. And God had to intervene through Esther so that God's people would have favor. But when it comes to God's kingdom, remember the scepter, the nature of God's kingdom and his kingship is he is righteous. He's 
always righteous. What does it mean? It means God is just. And all his judgments are just. Whether we like it or not, one day we will reach the end of our journey. When we look back, we will see, oh Lord, you were just. You were right. You were good. No, you see, it's only now, even in my life, when I look back, I can see, you know, God, you were, you were right. You were absolutely right. You had your plans. Those days, I didn't think, why, Lord? Like, I was the only child of five, the youngest, who was kept with my parents. They kept me till class six. All the others from class one were in boarding school. I was the only one who grew up with them till class six. Why? Why? Why, Lord? The reason is so that I would learn Nepali. Today I preach in Nepali and those pastors, they are professional Nepali pastors. They said, your language is so good. That's because I learned it at childhood. They said, when you speak Nepali, we can never find out that you are not a Nepali. Because you have no accent when you speak Nepali. You speak like somebody naturally born. And most Nepalis today in Hyderabad cannot read or write Nepali while I can. If my father had put me in class one in the boarding school, I would have learned Malayalam and English, that's all. And then when the, by time he brought me to class six, the boarding in Tivandrum where Samir and all studied the same school, they shut the boarding, they said we are only day scholars. So there I was stuck. My brothers were in boarding, they said when they pass out it will be closed. So I ended up with my grandparents, the only child in the family to study in a Protestant school. Therefore I, a Catholic, born Catholic, heard the gospel and got saved. Then I was so upset. Why can't I be in the city? Why can't I be in the boarding school? Why do you have to take two buses and walk 10 kilometers to school carrying these bags and all while they are just walking from the boarding into the school and they come back every week, every vacation, tell me all the movies they saw in Tivandrum and all the fun they had and here am I. You know why? One reason alone, God said, I need you saved. And you will never hear the gospel till today. Those two brothers who studied in those schools don't go to church. Don't even go to church. Well, he called me out, set me apart. And that's why when we see at the end and look back, we will see, Lord, you are just. All your ways are just. Absolutely. You are a God of righteousness. Remember Moses' song we saw on a Wednesday, the last words of Moses about God. This is a man in the carnal, in the physical to speak. He lost everything. He lost everything. But he was not even allowed to enter into the promised land. Everybody he brought except two died. But when he looks back, this is what he says in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4. He is the rock. God's work is perfect for all his ways are Justice, a God of truth without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Wow, how interesting, right? At the end of his life, he looks back, he's 120 years old. If you look, he has gained nothing in this world. Nothing, absolutely nothing. He doesn't even have the joy of a father to say, okay, I am not allowed in, my sons are going to be leaders, not even that. Nothing. Yet he looks back and he says, you know what? All your ways are right. Perfect. You're a God of justice. Now from that point in Moses' life, fast forward a few thousand years, go beyond us and reach the end of the tribulation period when the final judgments of God is being poured upon the world. 
In Revelation 15 verses 1 to 3, what does scripture say? I have given it there. Yes. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues for in them the wrath of God is complete. When the judgment of God is going to be completed on earth, I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, standing on a sea of glass having the harps of God. A huge multitude of overcomers, they are singing. What are they singing? Verse 3, they sing the song of Moses. What are they saying? What we sing is crime. Greatness to our God. He's the rock. He's perfect. He's upright. He's just. But interesting, the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Now the song of Moses and the song of Jesus Christ saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. What does this mean? It means this. Law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. But when the judgment of God is complete, it doesn't matter whether you are a saint from the period of the law or you are an overcomer from the period of grace, both groups will acknowledge, Lord, you are just, you are upright, and all your ways are righteous. It doesn't matter which side you were born in, God does not change. He is just, he is upright, and he is always, always righteous. And they will declare, So get this into your spirit, into your soul and keep on meditating on it. Never doubt it. God is love. Yes, scripture says God is love. God is merciful. God is kind. All that is true. But believe with all your heart, God is just. All his ways are true. So even when you feel things in life is not going the way you want, things are unfair, things are not happening the way it should be, don't worry. The one who is in control, the one who is on the throne is just. He's absolutely just. Never ever doubt this. Because he is just. That's what it means to believe. To have faith means to believe God is righteous. Therefore we've been learning the principles of God's justice. If God is just and his scepter of his kingdom is righteousness, remember, we need to understand and imbibe and get it into our deep, into us, our spirit, the justice and the righteousness of God, and grow in it. Learn and grow. Repent. Keep on changing. Understand they're all connected, the justice of God, authority, truth, righteousness. We saw all these are connected. Because most of the problems we face as believers we face are because of the judgments we have made with our tongue. Most of the problems. We saw in Proverbs 18.21, life and death is in the power of the tongue. What does it mean? It means we chose death when we judged wrongly. We chose death when we judged Wrongly. In the first place, scripture says, don't judge where you have no authority. Second scripture says, if we judge unrighteously, don't judge unrighteously because the problem is we judge by appearance or the court language, we judge by hearsay. By appearance or hearsay. Three, we judge when we have evidence even though we have no proof. 
Remember scripture. This is what Jesus said. I didn't give it, but I will read it for you. For Jesus said, with the same measure you judge. This you will keep, get it back in the same measure. So we do not realize. We have judged, all of us, guilty of it, have judged so many peoples with our tongues. We had no right to. We are never given authority. We judge wrongly. But each time we are judging somebody. What were we choosing? We are choosing death and not life. And with the same measure it was coming. These are fundamental principles in God's kingdom. Because God says what you sow, you reap. And sometimes we do not realize we sow often with our words. So remember Sunday's message, Wednesday's message, the past two messages from Pastor Vijay, they all go together. This you need to keep on hearing, listening, meditating on so that you have to do your homework. Just don't be just hearers. Hear over and over and let it. We also saw on that Wednesday from Micah 6 and verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? What does God require of us? First thing he requires is to do justly. He says, be just. Understand to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly. This is also there in the, when, the, the week before Wednesday message. Okay. Therefore, as we come to the message for today, as we continue, to do justly is the most important thing. Why? Because our God is just. What does God require of me? God says, before you can do any work for me, first thing, let me tell you how I want you to do your work. It should be done justly. Because the most important attribute of our God is his justice. He is just. And God has given us the case study both in the Old Testament and New Testament. In Deuteronomy 19 and words uh, 15, 19 verse 15, one witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin. Even if he says, I was a witness, I saw it, I heard it, God says one witness cannot rise. Don't even take his account. By the mouth of two or three witnesses that matter shall be established. Mouth of two or three witnesses. First Timothy 5.19, the same principle is brought. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. He says when it comes to leadership, be very clear. It has to be two, multiple, two or three. Even there, what is God saying? The principle is two witness does not mean the accused is guilty. First thing he says, without two, minimum of two witnesses, don't even entertain. Whatever it is, however serious it might be, do not even entertain it. With two witnesses, receive it so that you can explore. Now investigate to see whether it is true or not. We have to be very careful with accusations against the brethren. Because the devil is called the accuser of the brethren. Whenever a child of God or a church, remember, listen carefully. Whenever a child of God or a church or an organization, let's say child of God or a church, becomes effective in winning souls, remember, Satan will counterattack. 
and this is often study history right from the beginning this is often done through false accusations so that the credibility of the person or the church is destroyed credibility of the person or that organization church is destroyed and scripture and history is full of examples that just because there are two witnesses that doesn't make it true let's look at the examples which one do you have first acts or yeah you have acts okay let's look at stephen acts chapter 6 and stephen full of faith and power did great wonders and signs among the people then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of freedmen christians alexandria and those from cilicia and asia disputing with stephen when did that happen when did this then look at this then okay when did this happen when his ministry suddenly became effective as long as waiting at tables in the church and nobody knew him there was no trouble for stephen the minute he stepped out and his ministry became powerful immediately people arose and what did they do and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke then they secretly induced men to say we have heard him speak blasphemous words against moses and god how many witnesses they get got more than two plenty they got what witnesses what witnesses false witnesses what did they do they got false witnesses to speak against blaspheme against stephen saying that he is speaking against moses and god honestly you should listen to stephen's message to the sanhedrin we learn more about moses and god through that one message and they are saying he is speaking blasphemy against moses and god so how did it end what is chapter 7 acts 7 57 then they cried out with a loud voice stop the ears and ran with him ran at him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and stoned him and the witnesses the false witnesses lay down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul so it doesn't matter if there are two or three or four or 10 that doesn't make it true it doesn't make it true scripture is saying that if there is a false if there are two witnesses coming then investigate that doesn't mean the person is guilty at all he is presumed innocent Let's look at our Lord himself. Matthew 26 and verse 57. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas and high priest where the scribes and the elders were assembled. Can I have the next verse also? Okay, 59 to 61. Yeah, 59. And now the chief priest, the elders and all the council sought what? false testimony against Jesus to put him to death but found none even though many false witnesses came forward they found none but at last two false witnesses came forward they tried but their witnesses were all falling right it's like this uh, four boys who came and uh, came to the class late they came together they said they said why are you late the teacher said ask why are you late they said no our tire punctured so we were all in the same car the teacher said okay go sit in four corners give you a piece of paper write which tire that's something they hadn't thought of so they were struggling one road friend left another road friend right other said back tired so you got it so all these false witnesses were brought and all the witnesses were falling apart and then they found two false witnesses came forward and what did they say 
and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Did he say that? Yes. But did he mean it the way they meant it? No. So they got two. And just using that, they decided to kill him. Be careful. Two witnesses does not mean in the Bible something is true. Only that it needs to be investigated. Crooked men throughout history have used this one tenet of God's law to raise up false witnesses. That is why in the kingdom, in God's law, the penalty of false witness was equal to the crime he accused somebody of. If he accused somebody of a crime, if I am a false witness and I accuse Richie of something, then it is found I am false. What does the law say if, if Richie had committed that crime? Let's say according to the law, Richie, if he had committed the crime, was five years in prison, but finds I was a false witness. God's law said that now I should go to prison for five years. That is how the law was written. The same. If you look at scripture... You will see that in Deuteronomy 19, verse 18 and 19. Do we have it? Deuteronomy 19. And the judges shall make careful inquiry indeed if the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother. Then you shall do to him as he thought, thought to have done to his brother. So she shall put away the evil from among you evil from among you. How seriously God took this. So, remember, in scripture we have other examples in First Kings chapter 21. We know about Naboth and Naboth and his vineyard. The king wanted his vineyard. Naboth wouldn't give his vineyard. So what did Jezebel do in chapter 21 of First Kings 8 to 13. She wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, sent the letters to the elders and nobles who were dwelling in the city with Naboth. She wrote in the letter saying, proclaim a fast, seat Naboth with high honor among the people, among the people. And see two men, scoundrels before him to bear witness against him saying, you have blasphemed God and the king and then take him out and stone him that he may die. She said, Call him for a big party. Put him in a seat of honor. Do it all. She wrote the letters. Put Ahab's seal. And get two false witnesses. To get two scoundrels. Who will lie for money. Who will lie for gain. And let them sit sit there and say he has blasphemed against God and the king. And then take him out and stone him. So the men of his city. The elders and nobles who were inhabitants of his city. Did as Jezebel had sent to them. And as it was written in the letters which he had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast, seated Naboth with high honor among the people. The two men, scoundrels, came in and sat before him and the scoundrels witnessed against him, against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king. And they took him outside the city and stoned him with stones so that he died. Were the witnesses true? No. But did they have the right number according to the law? Yes. Understand this. These are spirits. Jezebel's spirit is a murderous spirit. It will go to any extent to get what it wants and it will destroy anyone who stands in its way. And the spirit is very rampant even today. Today, of course, they don't write and seal. They write what is called today anonymous letters. I'm not talking about the world. Leave the world. I'm only talking within the parameters of the church. They write anonymous letters. That's such a simple spirit. Accusing somebody to somebody saying, this one has... You need to realize how many churches have got into trouble because people from within wrote to the authorities. Authorities. 
flow to the authority. It comes always from within. It never comes from outside. It comes from within. Outside people have no clue what's happening within. It comes from within. It is not written that Jezebel got two Gentiles from Egypt to witness. No, it's from all from within. Understand that spirit. Never ever, if you write a letter to somebody, put your name. Have the backbone to put your name and say, this is what I believe it is. Never ever write an anonymous letter to anybody. Because it tells you what spirit you are of. False witnesses. We saw, if you are a false witness, the punishment came according to what the crime was. And you will see that in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 24. The king gave the command and they brought out those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions. Them, their children, their wives and the lions overpowered them, broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. What did they try to do? They falsely accused Daniel and Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. God protect him. But when he came back, he's declared innocent. Now those who had accused him were thrown down and they were finished. Same thing with Mordecai. We saw in Esther chapter 9 and verse 25. When Esther came before the king, he commanded by letter that this wicked plot which Haman had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. What did he want? He wants Mordecai and the Jews destroyed. Instead what happened? It went back on him. So guard your lips. Not watch my lips. Guard your Lips. Use more than balm. Winter is coming, but use more than balm. Lock it, seal it, put it away. Guard our lips. Choose life. Choose life. Because that is why scripture says in the gospel that when you stand before God, you will have to give an account for every careless word you have uttered. You will say, I just meant it as a joke. God said, no, you didn't. You didn't mean it as a joke. You used it very subtly, very subtly to destroy somebody's reputation. Somebody's name. And you choosing death, but not for him or her. You chose death for yourself. In James chapter 3 and verse 2, this is what scripture says. We all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, in your word. He is a perfect man, able also to control the, burdle the whole body. He said, if you can watch your tongue. Listen to what James says in that chapter. Chapter verses 6 to 12. This is what he says. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. Sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. Where is hellfire found before you reach hell? Where is hellfire found before you reach hell? On your tongue. God says it's on your tongue. The only place outside of hell where the fire of hell can be found is your tongue. You know the US Army has a missile called hellfire. It was originally meant to be an armor piercing. Now they use it from drones to kill very important targets. Very important targets like Al-Qaeda chief going in his convoy. That missile comes and hits and he's gone. It's called what? Hellfire. He has no clue it is coming and is gone in seconds. So, on fire by hell for every kind of beast and bird and reptile creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father. With it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. And what does the word say again? 
Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not to be and continuous. You say, how is it possible? A spring can produce fresh water and salt water. In the natural, you don't accept it. You will never accept it. No? It cannot produce. can only produce either sweet water or bitter. But he says the tongue produces both. The human tongue produces both. Why? Why? Because we, before we met Christ and as he's regenerating us before that, our father was who? Who was? The devil. And what is the devil called in the, in the Bible? When he appears first, what does he come like? And what does the devil have? How does his tongue look? Fork tongue. It talks from both sides. He will flatter you and abuse you. Flatter you and abuse you. He will speak good things and bad things. Good things. We're the same. He can do both. The fork tongue. That's why when the Holy Spirit comes on the day of baptism, the, it comes as fire has cloven tongues, meaning let me make your tongue whole first. So when you say, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, is your tongue touched or not? Then you will know how much the Spirit of God has control over your life. Has he taken control over your tongue? Or do you still speak both ways? God says, no. Learn to give more and more control into the hands of the living God. Hellfire. Where is hellfire found? On the tongue. It's a very serious message. That's what I said. Listen very, very carefully. This is what we are covering. The problem is, if your tongue is divided and you speak both ways, you are in serious trouble with God. Very serious trouble with God. Absolutely serious trouble with God. That's why in that old cartoon Bambi, Bambi's father told Bambi, what did he say? If you cannot talk right, don't talk at all. That's the accent that is used. If you didn't understand, I will say in simple English, if you cannot talk right, then don't talk at all. Okay? If you can't talk right, then don't talk at all. Simple. Guard your lips. So now we will come to the most important part of the message. Moving to the next section. That's why I said today we sang a song on the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, there's a very interesting words, very strange, interesting words, which demands close further study. It's found in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 13. Lead us not into temptation. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from Evil. Can I have it in uh, KJV? Keep that on on sc- screen until we come. What does the prayer say? Lead us not into. We all know, Father who art in heaven. We have this whole list. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Strange. Now read James chapter one, verses thirteen to fifteen. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed, trapped. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth what? Death. But what does the prayer say? The prayer says, Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Temptation leads to sin. Sin, when it is full grown, becomes evil. That brings death. Please understand this in the Bible. 
In the Bible, evil and sin are not the same. Never. All evil is sin. But all sin is not evil. Here again. All evil is sin. But all sin is not evil. I understand from my study these two words, evil and sin, in the any of the original text is never interchangeably used in the Bible. Sin is always sin. Evil is always evil. Sin means to miss the mark, Hamarsha. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us were sinners. Many ways are still sinners. But I pray to God, there is no evil one here. Because sin is the individual act of doing wrong. Evil is an alliance to bring harm upon another individual or individuals. So in sin and evil is not the same thing. Sin is what destroys you if you don't repent and turn away. But evil is when you join with someone or others to destroy somebody else. Sin is criticizing someone. Evil is joining an alliance to slander and destroy someone's name, someone's reputation. Understand that. There's a difference between sin and evil. When the remnant who came out of Babylon were rebuilding the wall of the temple, in the wall of Jerusalem, there were two men there, Tobiath and Sanballat. Tobiah and Sanballat. They wanted to stop the construction. So they formed an alliance to discourage the people by going against Nehemiah. They even hired a prophet. Listen to Nehemiah speak in Nehemiah 6, 12 to 14. Then I perceived God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this reason he was hired that I should be afraid and act that way and sin. So that they might have cause for an evil report. They might reproach me. My God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat according to their works. And the prophetess Nodiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. You see, it's a whole set of people, leaders and prophet and prophetesses all coming together with one intent to what? To destroy Nehemiah and to stop the rebuilding of the walls. They are not sinners, they are evil people. Evil people always distinguish evil and sin in the Bible. The sons of Jacob, the sons of Jacob, the first ten sons of Jacob, scripture when it introduces us with Joseph, he tells us about them too. Genesis 37. Here, look here young men, don't nod off. Yes, here, look here. We shall have a report now, 37. Genesis 37. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, sons of Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought, KJV will say what? A evil report. He was shocked. You are a young innocent kid. And he went and sitting with his brothers and he realized these guys are wicked. You are shocked. They were not simple sinners. They were wicked. They were evil. The sons of Jacob were evil. And you will see them, how evil they are in the same chapter in verses 17 and 19. The man said, they have departed from here for I heard them say, let us 
Go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers, found them in Dothan. When they saw him from afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to do what? Kill him. Did he do them any harm? No. They are not sinners. They are not normal sinners. They are what? Evil. They are evil. You need to understand this is consistent in the Bible. Acts chapter 14 verses 1 and 2. Now it happened in Iconium that they were together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude both of the Jews and of the Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. As soon as they saw Paul's ministry, people getting saved, the wicked ones there, the evil ones over there, started their work. And what do you see next? In verses 4 and 5, but the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them. For what? For preaching the gospel. Now the Gentiles, the Jews and the rulers, the evil ones have come together trying to destroy the apostles. What is the last day's warning? The last day's warning, Second Timothy. Chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But, not sinners. Sinners has been there from the time Adam and Eve sinned. Sinners have been there from the beginning. But what is the sign of the last days? Evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. Evil men. Worse and worse. Evil men. Why evil men? Why? All around the world, from the beginning till today around the world, evil men and women are coming against God's servants. And it says in the last days, why will there be great persecution? Because evil men will wax stronger and stronger. That's why in James 3, God doesn't call the tongue sinful. He doesn't call it sinful. In James 3, 8, what does he call the tongue? It is unruly. Evil. He says the tongue is not sinful. It is evil. It is evil. The tongue is evil. Full of what? Deadly poison. Sin happens to all of us. We all sin and do damage to ourselves. But evil is planned and carefully constructed to destroy others. Understand the difference. Jesus was a friend of Sinners, the Bible says, but he's never called the friend of evil ones. He was a friend of sinners. Whom and why did he rebuke the Pharisees? And never the sinners. Doesn't matter what your sin was. Even you could be caught in the act of adultery and brought and thrown at your feet. He never rebuked them. Because he was a friend of sinners. He came to save the sinners. But the evil ones, who were the evil ones? Were the Pharisees. Not all the Pharisees, but most of them at his time. Why? Because they were evil. Outwardly very religious. But they kept joining together to destroy anyone who did not accept their brand of religion. Anyone. That's what we saw in Matthew 27, 57 to 63. That's what we saw. Okay, we will we will leave that. Okay, we we'll leave that. Yeah, bring it. 
no, it's not 27. It is actually 26, if I'm right. Pardon? It's when he's brought, arrested and brought before. Yeah, 20. 26. Yeah, 50, 59, Now the chief priests, the elders, all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. We saw this earlier. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last two false witnesses came forward. What this is said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and build in the three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, do you answer nothing? What is it this man testify against you? Did Jesus speak a word? No, he didn't. Why? Because Jesus will not speak to evil ones. He will only speak to sinners. It's only when the high priest says, I ask you in the name of the living God, speak, he spoke. Then he spoke because he invoked his father's name. Till then he refused to speak. That's why he didn't speak to Herod or anyone. He said, you are evil. Go tell that fox. He never said that to the sinners. He said that to the evil ones. He said, you are evil. And I don't speak, communicate with evil ones. That's why I said in the Bible, sin and evil are never interchangeably used. Be very, very careful how we study scripture. It's only when his father's name. So note, the difference between evil and sin in the Bibles from the beginning. Genesis 2, verse 17. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It is never called the tree of the knowledge of good and sin. No. Good and evil. Satan is not interested just in your sinning. He comes to kill to steal, to kill, to destroy. He wants you to continue sinning until you become evil. Where now you plot to meditate evil upon others. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. But Cain became evil outside. For he was now meditating for an opportunity to kill his brother who did him no harm. That's the difference between sin and evil. In Psalm 51 and verse 4, this is what David says. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Why does he use both words? He says, when I committed adultery with Bathsheba, I sinned. But when I plotted and planned out the murder of Uriah, I became evil. You saved me. You saved me. It's not the same. It is not the same church. It is not the same. Understand how scripture plays out. Be careful. Guard our hearts as the scripture shows us. When did judgment come upon the earth? When did the first judgment came up, came upon the earth? When did it come? What did Genesis 6 and verse 5 say? When Noah's time though. When the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of his thoughts of his heart was only Evil, not not sinning. These people were not just thinking about watching this or doing this. They were plotting and planning all the time how to hurt somebody, how to harm somebody else. That is what. It was just the hand of God that kept Noah and his three sons and their wives alive. Otherwise they would have killed them too because they were evil generation. 
They were not sinners. God doesn't judge at a sinning level. He has to move his hand of judgment when it comes to the evil level. Why was Sodom ripe for judgment? Why did God send two angels? Didn't he know what the city was? But why did he send two angels to prove to subsequent generations? You know what? When I judge, you can be absolutely sure I am just and it has reached the tipping point. Now look at those people when they came over there in Genesis 19 verse 4 to 5. When these two angels came over, before they lay down, it is night, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house and they called to Lot and said, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. What is this? Homosexuality is a sin. When they are planning and plotting to rape these two angels, it is evil. These are evil men. These are evil. It's a difference. So God was proving to us and subsequent generations, you will know my judgment was just over Sodom and Gomorrah. They needed to be burned to the ground because old and young, all the people from every quarter came. They are all evil. They are forever thinking carnally now. Why? Now, two new guys has come. We have known everybody carnally, but only these two. We want to know them too. That's how they think. That's when it becomes evil. Sin is one thing. You fall in sin. That's a different thing. When you become evil, you are always thinking, okay, this is not enough. I need one more. I need one more. I need one more. Now it is evil. You have to hear stories. Okay. I, 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 I fell. I sinned. I had an affair with somebody. But now I have HIV. I'm so mad. I'm going to give it to every man I know. Or I'm going to every woman I know. What have they become now? From sin to evil. That's what God is talking about. Evil. Verses 9 to 11. Verses 9 to 11. And they said, stand back. This is the angels. Then they said, this one came to stay here. And he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. Did you see? These are not sinners, church. These are evil people, evil generation. Do you remember this episode with Jesus when the woman caught in adultery is brought to Jesus? She had sinned. But the Pharisees were worse. They were plotting to get her killed through Jesus and then get him killed because he passed a verdict on her. That's how wicked they were. That's how evil they were. They caught her and brought her to him and says, Lord, we caught her in the act of adultery. What should you? Oh, you're the great teacher, right? Let's see if he will contradict the law. He cannot contradict the law. He has to uphold the law. So let him say, oh, she's committed adultery. Stone her. Okay? So this poor woman is stoned to death. Now they will go to the Romans and say, this man stoned a woman. He is the one because he has taken authority because under the Roman Empire, only the Romans can execute somebody. That's why they handed him over to Pilate to be crucified. The law, they can pass a sentence, they cannot execute the sentence. So did you see how evil those Pharisees were? Yet they know the Torah by heart and they tithe, they come in seed and mint and everything. They fast regularly, pray regularly, but they were evil in their hearts, not sinners. That's why Jesus is called the friend of sinners. 
never the friend of evil ones. So remember, the church is to do everything like Jesus to reach the sinner. Lift him or her up. But avoid the evil ones. Don't even associate with them. God commended the church in Ephesus for that. In Revelation chapter 2, 1 and 2, God says, the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things he says who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. Not sinners. If we avoid sinners, who will get saved? Oh, evil. They were commended for that. In Romans 16 and verse 17, I urge you, brethren, not those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine you have learned, avoid them. Don't go. Because these are evil people. They have nothing in mind but to destroy the body of Christ and destroy the weak ones. Avoid them. Don't associate with them. God needs to open our eyes to what scriptural fellowship is. In Proverbs 2 verses 11 and 12, this scripture says, Discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things. Don't even lend your ears to those who speak ill about others. And they have no business to. Why do you want somebody else's garbage in your head? Your head will start stinking. Don't even, don't even, just cut the call off. Proverbs 4 verses 14 to 16. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Absolutely clear about evil. Don't even go that direction. Turn around, pass on. That's why Jesus asked us to pray. Deliver us from evil. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Lord, I am very weak. Lord, protect me. Cover me. Lord, when temptation comes, Lord, please protect me from temptation. But Lord, deliver me from evil. Only when we understand the doctrine of sin and evil, sin and evil, we will understand the judgments and the justice of God. In Deuteronomy 135, Listen to Moses speak. Surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land of which I swore to them. Did God swear an oath? The promised land is yours. He says, I am not, I'm going to see that I will not keep my oath with you. Why? Because you are evil. The purpose of taking you is, is that that you will drive out an evil generation in Canaan, the Canaanites, and possess that land. Instead, you are more evil than them. You're evil. They are not sinners. They are an evil generation. We have to see how God sees them. Check the end of evil people. And you will see how terrible it is. How terrible it is. In Samuel 18, yes sir, First Samuel chapter 18. Now it had happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the woman had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul. 
with tambourines, with joy and with musical instrument. So the woman sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry and saying, displeased him and he said, I have, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed only the thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. Okay, that's where it began. What did it begin as? It began as sin. He should just think. You you have to read scripture closely. Go back. They were coming. So what did they do? They came dancing, singing and dancing to meet King. Did they come to meet David? No. They were coming to meet whom? King Saul. Okay. Like I come back and they come and tell me, you know what? Pastor Vijay preached so wonderfully. Who do they say? Do they say to him or do they say to me? They say to me. Why? And how should I react? It's it's my credit, right? That my spiritual son has done so well. Why didn't he see it that way? Wow. Good job, David. Good job. That's why they're not singing to David. They're singing to him. King, we have a champion in Israel. He has brought glory to your name. That's what they're saying. But he didn't see it that way. That's where sin begins. He didn't see it that way. Sin began. And then where does it end? Go further from nine. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul. You go to KJV, you will see what came from God or what did God allow. He allowed an evil spirit to come. Evil spirit. And he prophesied in the house. So David played music with his hand as at other times. But there was a spear in whose hand? Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. From simple jealousy. Now what has he become? A murderer. He's become a murderer. Jealousy is sin. He should have handled it then. But he allowed it to fester. Therefore God allowed the evil spirit to come upon him. And he ends up as a murderer. Because he did not deal with his sin continuously. At the end he became evil. And at the end he will lose everything. Everything. And he will be dead. Pinned at the end. What he tried to do with the same measure you judge. With the same measure you will. How did his first reaction when he was angry. What did he do? He tried to pin David to the wall. How is Saul's end? He's pinned to a Philistine wall. Dead. God said. You judged an innocent man who loved you, who brought honor to your name, who protected you, who kept your head up. You tried to kill him. The same measure he used, the same measure will come back. My laws don't change because I am just. I will uphold my righteousness. That is the story of King Saul. We have learned these things and all in detail, Saul's response, David's response, but in connection with our message today. There was another man, young man, handsome man. The problem is these are all people like that. These are all vain people. If you look at Saul, he was head and shoulders, not the dandruff one, but head and shoulders, higher than everybody else, taller than everybody else. Okay, So he was very vain. I am the tallest, smartest guy in Israel. And this Chotaladuka came and defeated Goliath. He couldn't handle it. That's the problem. Next guy we are looking at today is another guy. His name is 
Absalom. Aaj ka fair and handsome ad. Not a blemish on his skin. And look at his hair. Wow. Don't be so proud about your hair. Read about Absalom. <laughs> or your complexion. Read about Absalom. Absalom, it began with offense. He didn't deal with situations. Yes, there was a real situation over there. Yes, your sister was raped by another prince, your half-brother. Yes, you understand that. But justice is in the hands of the king. And because the king did not intervene, you took it in your own hands and killed your brother, your half-brother. How did he get offended with David? First offense was that. Second offense was that. David did not meet him for two years as punishment. Sometimes people don't understand. Parents, when their children grow old, punishment is different. Meaning you can't whack them. They don't talk to them. They don't talk to them. Okay, how are you? Fine, thank you. That's all. They don't talk to them. Why? Because you have gone against the justice in my kingdom. In Second Samuel chapter 14 and verse 28, Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem but did not see the king's face. Everybody in Jerusalem see there's one pres- prince who cannot enter into his father's presence. Who is that? Absalom. And he's offended. That's where it begins. Second Samuel chapter 15 verses 4 to 7. Now what does he do? Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who was any suit cause would come to me, then I would give him justice. What did he mean by that? You know what? The father doesn't really uphold justice. Oh, I wish. People do differently in the churches, okay? They do, oh, I wish you would just call me for prayer. The prayer team in the church is not good enough. You should be calling me. Take my number. If you have any trouble, call me. You know, see, the same spirit works in all the churches. Oh, why don't you call me home for a Bible study? But we already have these meetings. No, you should, I can also come and teach. Why? Because I can give you justice. Justice. We have to see principles of how it works. So it was whenever anyone came near to bow down to him that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. Oh, they will hug you. They will kiss you. Love you, brother. Love you, sister. David never did any of these things. And now they are seeing this tall, handsome, good-looking prince is hugging and this thing. He wants subtly all... Does he really love the people? No. His whole idea is to usurp his father's throne. What would happen? Six. In the manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. Not everyone. He's only waiting for the people who are going to the king for judgment. He sidetracked them on the road. So that what happened? He stole the hearts of the men of Israel from the loyalty to the father, now to false loyalty to himself. Understand? Now it came to pass after 40. It is not 40. Actually it is 4. Some versions say 40. Some versions say 40. Four can't be 40 if you look at it mathematically. It has to be four years that Absalom said to the king, please let me go to Hebron and pay the vow which I made to the Lord. Four years later he told him, once he knew he had enough people on his side, he told the king, can I go to Hebron? The king said, no. He says, please, 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 I want to make a sacrifice. And he said, okay, go. And that's when the plot do you understand? For four years. I hope it is not 40. If it is 40, meaning for 40 years, 
was planning and plotting, planning and plotting to bring his father down. Is he a sinner or is he evil? He's not a sinner, he's evil. Finally, evil will come out. David has to run in 2 Samuel 15 and verse 12. Then Absalom sent for whom? Ahishtophel the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices and the conspiracy grew strong for the people with Absalom continually increased with number. The problem is one evil man can recognize another evil man. And the poor sinner doesn't know that. Ahitophel is saying, yes my lord, yes my lord. Okay, this situation, this is the counsel. Counsel, 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 counsel. But Absalom recognized, this guy hates David. He hates David. He is not true to David. So the minute Absalom had enough numbers, what did he, whom did he ask for? He asked for, Ahitophel, come to my side. Come, come, come on. Ahitophel immediately moved over to the other side. Why? Because it was both Absalom's and Ahitophel's common desire to do evil towards David. Both are evil men. Common desire. They have nothing in common. Absalom has no brains or looks. Ahitophel probably has no looks and only brains. Nothing in common. But they have one thing in common. They both want to do evil towards David. That's why you need to understand this. Sinners can stand alone. Evil men always looks for company to hide their works. Sinners can stand alone, but evil people always need company. Always in history, always they need company. Never do they work alone because they find their strength in the shadows of that group. That's what's happening over here. That's where we have to be careful. We have to be warned about. So what was their end? Their end Sadly, both their ends were similar. In 2 Samuel chapter 18, verses 9 and then verse 14. Then Absalom met the servants of David. Absalom rode on a mule and the mule went under the thick boughs of a great terebinth tree and his head caught in the terebinth. So he was left hanging between heaven and earth. Left hanging between? This was that wonderful verse which created Pastor Eric. Many, many, many years ago when I was teaching on this, when that young man Eric from Jamshedpur had this long hair and spent 3,000 rupees in a parlor every month to maintain his hair, he heard this, he went and had a haircut. He said, yo, I don't want to be judged like Absalom. I am too vain about my hair. Basically, it was his hair that got stuck there. He will hear it tonight, so he will be very happy. And what happens in verse 14? The mule went on. He is hanging by his head between heaven and earth. And Job said, I cannot linger with you. And he took three spears in his hand and thrust them through Absalom's heart while he was still alive in the midst of the turban tree. What did Job do? He stabbed him through the heart and killed him. But listen to me now carefully. Older, senior people who understand the word, this man too is evil evil. He always treated the king's orders with contempt because he knew David had premeditated the death of Uriah. He's the only one who knows because the letter had come to him. So he always took advantage of David and ignored his orders. The king had personally ordered, let no harm come to Absalom and Job disregarded that order. That's why when David dies, he tells Solomon, remember Job. 
from. I won't do it. Because I am as guilty as he when it comes to the murder of Uriah. But you see that justice comes. Understand, evil people have to be get rid of God's kingdom before the kingdom can prosper. There is he, hanging between heaven and earth, dead. And Second Samuel 17 verse 23, Absalom does not receive Ahitophel's counsel, so he is offended. No, 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 33? What is that verse? 23, 23, not 28, sorry, 23. 23, yeah, got it? Yes, 17, 23. Okay, he went home. He was a very disciplined man, absolutely disciplined man. Who was a disciplined man? Ahitophel was a very disciplined, so that his advice was not followed. He got very offended. That's how the devil uses. Oh, all these years your father took my advice. Now you, Chota Ladaka, is not taking my advice. He was very offended and I am trying to make you king. He went home, went to his house, to his city. He put his household in order. That is the problem. You should not have discipline without the spirit. A lot of disciplined people, before they commit suicide, they will fold everything, put everything right their will, and then they will kill themselves. Because they are very disciplined. Very disciplined. Everything is in order. You go to their house. Man is hanging in the middle. It's very clear. Okay? That's what he did. He hanged himself and he... Did you see both their ends were the same? Why? Because they were evil. They both were evil. They were purposing evil on David. Poor man had no clue. And they got it back in the same measure from God. These examples are there in the Bible. So there is so much to learn. So much to learn. So much. Never underestimate what the word of God says in the Bible. If you read the third epistle of that gentle, loving, last living apostle, he died of course, but when it was being written, third John, three men are mentioned. Three men are mentioned in that little epistle. Gaius, Demetrius, and Diotrophus. If you read it carefully, the first two were good men. But Diotrophus was the one who slandered John and tried to harm him in his ministry. And the Holy Spirit through John, let's have it in KJV, Third John chapter 1, actually only one chapter, but verse 11. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. What is he talking about? He's telling the church over there, don't go with Diotrephus, he's evil. Follow the others who are good. Know this truth, understand this truth. Evil comes into a person's life because of doing good. Not because you are good. Because being good does not attract evil. Doing good attracts evil. Being good only helps you. Doing good helps others. So evil doesn't so much attack who are just good but attacks those who do good. Whether you are an individual or whether you are a ministry or a church, because those who do good are a direct threat to the devil's kingdom. Okay. You do not handle all these things similarly. In the next subsequent weeks, I will we will look at how you deal with evil and how you deal with sin. We know where sin abounds, what abounds? 
Grace. Grace won't handle evil. Handle evil. Evil has to be handled. You have to look to everything for scripture. Lord, give you more grace that I can handle evil, God says. Okay, I will give you grace, but that's not the method in which you handle evil. I'll give you grace to overcome sin. How do you handle evil? How do you handle evil? Evil is not handled the same way you handle sin. They are not the same. That's why I said it is never interchanged in the Bible. It's never done. Okay. That's why the prayer, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Deliver me from evil. That's the cry of David against you and you alone have I sinned and done this evil. Done this evil. So God said to David when Nathan came, I have sinned. What did God say? I have removed this. I have put away your sin. But did he do deal with the evil? Yes, he said, justice will come for the evil you did. The sword shall not depart from your house. The sin you did with Bathsheba, I've taken it away. Evil, I'm forgiving you, but justice will come. You killed a man, the sword will kill your sons. Evil has to be handled because I'm a God who forgives sinners but deals with evil. Understand the justice of God. Understand the ways of God. It is not as simple as we think. Understand our God. That's why I said, Jesus is the friend of sinners. He's the friend of sinners. He's never the friend of evil ones. That's why we cry out, O Lord, deliver me from evil. In the light of what we have heard, ask God, Lord, this morning I pray, cleanse my heart, Cleanse my mind, cleanse my tongue with your fire. Because I understand, O Lord, I can choose life or death. Lead me not into temptation, but Lord, truly, truly, deliver me from evil. We learn from these things. That's why I said, if you remember the few weeks back, this U.S. election, if you read the news, everybody says they're just waiting for it to be over because this is the worst ever. All you had was calling each other names. Just set of people calling each other the worst things, digging for dirt and throwing at each other, proving, trying to prove to the people, you know, don't elect her because she's worse than me. And she's saying, don't elect him because he's worse than me. That's not how an election is won. If I if I remember my history very well, when Abraham Lincoln in his initial stages, when he went to 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 ask for votes in one of his meetings, in the same meeting was he and his opponent, and he said, "My opponent is an honorable man, but I request you to vote for me. But if you have any misgivings, I ask you, request you to vote for him." That is from where they have started and where they have ended. So the sad state of affairs everywhere, everywhere. It's so much more prominent today because, of course, U.S. is at the news. Listen to what the Philippine president, when he opens his mouth and says, these are national leaders. Okay. I mean, you don't speak like that. You don't, you don't talk like that. You don't speak like that. Because with your tongue, what are you saying? What are you saying? You know, and we also need to be careful. 
because understand God's principles of justice. When you see the cross, we see his love, we see his kindness, we see his mercy, we see his compassion. But more than all of it, when you see the cross, see God's justice. Jesus did not die to meet God's love, requirement of his love. Jesus did not die to meet God's requirement of mercy. He did not die so that we would God would be kind towards us. No, he died on the cross because he knew his father was just and justice had to be met and the wages of sins was death and he had to be that sinless lamb so he could carry the sins of the world. He died on the cross so that he could declare forever and ever God is just. God is just. Holy Spirit through Paul says if we judged ourselves we would not be judged. Scripture never tells us to judge others when they are outside the ambit of our authority and even if they fall within an authority to go with absolutely clear scriptural guidelines with this one purpose to restore to salvage a sinner and not to condemn The purpose of all God's judgment in the kingdom was to salvage sinners. The only ones whom he judged and condemned were the evil ones. But he always judged the sinners to save them, to rescue them. And God says that's the heart which which he wants us to judge. Crown him with many crowns the Lamb Upon his throne, how the heavenly anthem drawn, a music burns its own. Awake, my soul, sing, open with thy Victorious in the strife for 
personally believe and i believe i am right that this is one of the most important series we may look as god's children how to end up as an overcomer the choices we make in life like i said evil comes because of doing good if abel hadn't done good evil wouldn't have followed him not being good is not enough it's doing good but when evil comes and evil ones arise what does god's word say we'll look at it in detail but i cannot leave you open ended like that on such an important message first learn from jesus how to react when evil arises in your in our lives in first peter chapter 2 verses 21 to 23 scripture records for to this you were called to this we were called evil ones will arise in everyone's life if you are planning to do good and do good evil will arise christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow his steps who committed no sin no was deceit found in his mouth who when he was reviled did not revile in return and people do evil to you say evil about you god says don't give it back in the same coin when he suffered he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously the first lesson we have to learn as believers as we grow as we mature when evil arises against us in our lives don't react be still leave it to god leave it to god first thing is inside don't react be still and know that he is god be still don't react ask god the grace lord help me not to react but that alone won't do you need to move to the next step like i said where sin abounds grace abounds so that we overcome sin but evil is overcome in a different way <clears throat> praying does not overcome evil bible never says overcome evil with praying bible never says overcome evil with fasting bible never says overcome evil with more bible studies there's only one way scripture says evil can be overcome and three times scripture records that in romans 12:21 <clears throat> do not overcome be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good Second, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 15, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourself and for all. And third one, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, 
not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary blessing. Know that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. What does scripture mean? Scripture means <coughs> there's only one way you can overcome evil. Keep doing good. It's not necessarily talking about your enemies. They may slap you if you try to do them some good. That's not. Keep doing good. Never stop the good you were doing. If you are a pastor, ask God, open up more avenues. I want to preach your good news to more and more people. I'm not going to let them stop me from the good you have called me to do. If you are in some other kind of ministry or whatever, keep on doing good. Do not let the evil take space in your mind and stop you from doing the good because that is the very purpose for which the devil started this and used evil people to start this. Do not stop doing good. Continue and say, Lord, expand my tents. Because evil can be overcome only one way, by keeping doing good. That's what Jesus realized. He did not realize, he knew and left an example so that to the point he did not stop doing good. Irrespective of what the Pharisees and the other evil ones talked about him. Finally they caught the false witnesses. They had a kangaroo trial. They condemned him. And now he can no longer walk through Israel. The feet that are taken through the streets and the towns. He cannot bless anybody with their hands because both those feet and those hands are crucified onto the cross. He cannot do anything. The only thing they forgot to crucify was his tongue. So he opens his mouth and the first thing he says is, Father forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He says, I will overcome this evil with good. And I will not overcome with evil because they were saying, you, if you are really the son of God, then come down from the cross. Show your power. He could have overcome evil with evil. He said, Peter, put away your sword. If my father wants, he will send 12 legions of angels and he could have finished all his enemies. He said, no, I will not overcome evil with evil. I will overcome evil with good. That's what Joseph learned and Joseph teaches us in Genesis 50 verses 19 and 20. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid for am I in the place of God? For as you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. What does it mean? More in the light of what you heard. He said, you all plotted evil, plotted evil. Every place I went, Joseph was saying, whether it was in my father's house, in Potiphar's house, everywhere there were evil men. Plotting to do evil. And I never stopped doing good. I did good to you by coming to Dothan with the food, my father, to check out on you. I could have said, no, I'm not going, they hate me, but I thought I will do you good. When I was thrown and as a slave and sold as a slave, I continued doing good. I was being tempted to sin, but I refused to partake of evil. I continued doing good. So what happened? Neither did I sin, but I overcame evil. At every point he says, you meant it for evil. All of you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. How did he overcome evil? By doing good. Often we may feel like Jeremiah who says in Jeremiah 18 and verse 20, Jeremiah says, shall evil be repaid for good? For they have dug a pit for my life. Remember I stood before you to speak good for them, to turn away your wrath from them. He says, you see Lord, I feel terrible. I'm always standing before your people speaking good to them. But they repay it with evil. They're forever digging pits to throw me in. So God's answer is there in scripture. We don't have to worry about sinners. 
All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we will keep sinning lesser and lesser as we go. But the answer to sin is repent, confess, renounce. But ask God, Lord, deliver me from evil. How do we deliver from evil? We saw this. That is why scripture warns us. We will look at four or five scriptures and we will close for today. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Who went about doing what? Doing good. He went about doing good and therefore he overcame the evil one. The evil one raised everybody against him at the end. But he went on growing. Good. How did he overcome the evil one? The scripture says everyone born of God overcomes the evil one. Yes. How do you overcome the evil one? By doing good. He wants you to stop doing good. God says don't. Don't. In Romans 2 and verse 7 scripture says eternal life to those who by patient continuous in doing good seek for glory. Why? Because that's the only way you can overcome evil. You cannot stop. Otherwise evil will overcome you. Galatians 6 9 Let us not grow weary while doing good. Because you will grow weary. Why? Because people are repaying you with evil. And you got weary. God says, look, it doesn't matter what people are repaying you with. The ultimate beneficiary of you doing good is you. You will overcome evil. If you stop, evil will overcome you. So do not grow weary. For in due season we shall reap if you do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. Second Thessalonians 3.13 You see how many times scripture quotes this. But as for you brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Why? That's the only way you can overcome evil. First Peter 2.15 For this is the will of God that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Keep doing good. The evil men finally will shut their mouths. First Peter 4.19 Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in what? Doing good as to a faithful creator. So God gives the answer. He says the answer of overcoming evil is doing good. But if you don't do good, you will start sliding from being a within quotes normal sinner and slowly will go to the trajectory of being what? A evil one. A prostitute who sells her body for money because she's poor, her children are starving, is a sinner. The pimp who sells her is an evil one. The boy who is a drug addict on the street is a sinner. The drug peddler is an evil one. The man who is a drunkard who drinks is an addict is a sinner. But the one who builds distilleries and make money are evil ones. Understand how God sees sin and evil differently. People who by ignorance swallow false doctrine and fall are poor sinners. But the ones who knowingly and willingly teach false doctrines are evil ones. They are not sinners. That's why God tells Timothy watch your doctrine. Whereby you can save your hearers. Sin and evil are not the same church. If you want to be be a sinner, don't be evil. Deliver me from evil. Deliver from evil.
Amen. Shall we stand? Father, this morning, even as we stand in your house, we stand only because of your mercy. Oh, Father, I pray through this week, we'll have the cleansing fire of the Holy Spirit, cleansing us, showing us anywhere where we were once evil, not just a sinner. Because evil ones rejoice in sin and rejoice in the fall and the misery of sinners. That's why your word says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls. David wept when Saul died because David was a good man. He didn't say, thank God he's gone. He wept. Help us to guard our hearts from evil, O Lord. So we stand together as the body of Christ here. And I commit each one, young and old, I pray for these young ones, Lord, especially the young ones. I pray, if any one of them is running in a gang, unknown to their elders, family, running in a gang, planning and plotting to bully, to intimidate others, to make others fall, to seduce the weak ones in their class or workplace, I pray, Father, today you would speak to them before it is too late. Today, for nothing is hidden from your eyes. Nothing. Teach us in the places you have sent each one, if needed, to walk alone. The thoughts of every man, your word says in Noah's time, inclination of his heart was evil continuously. But the same scripture says, Noah walked with God. I pray so many like Noah will arise in this evil generation who will choose to walk alone. And not the cross, the paths of evil ones who plan and plot to destroy innocence, innocent ones, the weak ones. Help us to keep doing the good you have called us to do. Thereby we overcome evil in our own lives. Help us not to judge. And if we judge, judge in righteousness as you judge. And if we can't, then show mercy. Help us to understand the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of righteousness. 
and your throne, O God, is forever and ever. It will never change. Help us to be just, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before thee, Lord. Thank you, Father. Commit church here, all our churches, all your servants. Pray you stretch forth your hand. Touch each one at their point of need. Whatever the need may be. Touch. Set your people free, Lord. Set your people free. That we may declare the praises of him who called us out from darkness into light. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Let the healing of the living God flow within the body of his son. Let the balm of Gilead flow and heal. Let there be restoration. Let there be deliverance. Let there be the liberty of the Holy Spirit that we can go forth and shout your goodness to even more, O Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. I bless your holy name. We as a church, we lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name, O Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. Amen.